0: Matthew 17, 14 through 21, from the New King James Version. This is one of my favorite stories that's told or chronicled in the Bible. There's so many layers of revelation, there's no way in the entire world that we will exhaust all of those avenues that are in this story. But with the help of the Lord, and by His unction alone, we'll cover the few that He is thinking for us tonight. Matthew 17, beginning at verse 14. And the word of the Lord says, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and then often into the water. And so I brought him to your disciples but they could not cure him this wasn't a sovereignty of God issue which sometimes is very much a part of the equation this was a level issue they weren't on the level needed for this healing to be released from them they had healed before They had seen the miraculous be released through them before, many times, but in this situation they hit something they could not break through. And then Jesus answered and said, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured immediately from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. There was a reason. It wasn't just sovereignly that person wasn't ready. There was a reason they were not effective in releasing the supernatural this time. And the reason Jesus said clearly was your unbelief. Unbelief is faith in the inferior. Unbelief is being duped by the illusion of the physical. Unbelief is connecting to the reality of the physical instead of the supernatural. And it was because of unbelief Jesus said you couldn't do it. For he said, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Turn to your neighbor and say nothing. Verse 21. However, this kind, one of the most incredibly misallocated scriptures in the Bible, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. You can put the kind on the devil, or you can put the kind on the authority and power that came rushing out of Jesus like a river of life I don't put the kind on the devil because if it needed prayer and fasting he wouldn't have done it immediately the kind was the power Jesus was walking in in the earth he said if you want to flow in what you just saw before your eyes I'm gonna tell you the formula and I'm gonna tell you the recipe. It's much prayer and fasting. That's it. Don't overcomplicate it, don't make it more than it is. It's just much prayer and fasting. So, with the help of His Spirit and His Spirit alone, I wanna speak to you from this entitled thought dimensional growth. Dimensional growth and dimensional depth. We must acquire dimensional depth. Now more than ever. Can you put your Bibles down, lift your hands all over this house? Can you loose your voices and join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your power that is in this place. We pray that you saturate us. We need you and we need your face. And we pray that you would rest upon us as never before. Let us have an encounter with you that changes us forever. Let us be transformed by the power and manifestation of your presence and your spirit and your goodness and your holiness in this place. Let your anointing be upon us that we may declare your heart and mind with unction. Anoint this congregation to receive it as never before and let us never be the same again. In the name of Jesus, our Christ, we pray. Can you clap your hands as you're seated? I love this teaching from our Messiah because it shows us so very much and it gives us something all of us can lean into because none of us have exhausted the limits of spiritual growth and maturity and advancement. None of us have exhausted the limits Of growth in him and expansion in him because he is infinite and growth in him is as equally as infinite as he is and so I will be growing in him even when you are there if you make it and you hear well done and you are there in heaven you will still be learning about him how do I know that because the devil was in heaven and still didn't understand his glory or the depth and breadth of his power and majesty still didn't understand it. So even when we are with him in eternity, we'll be, we will be learning of him and learning about him. That excites me. That's a powerful thing. And this teaching from our master shows us that there are levels to kingdom advancement and maturity. Tell your neighbor, there are levels to this thing. This isn't a hierarchy, but not everybody is in the same level or phase. I have met men, and I have been in their presence, and women, and I have come, and I have heard them pray, and I knew instantaneously I was not on their level. I knew that they were fellowshipping Jesus on a deeper level than I was fellowshipping Jesus at that time. Because when they prayed, just over the food, I felt the power of God as I'd never felt it before. On a simple prayer, just over some donuts before we ate, when I heard Billy Cole pray a prayer in West Virginia. Over food. The power of God hit me and I started shaking. Just praying over food. Now that's not to glorify men. Because men don't acquire it by merit. It's all given by grace you need to understand that it's all given by grace but the levels are also given by grace so the fact that it all comes by grace does not negate the fact that there are levels of advancement in this thing and there are levels of maturity to acquire by grace how do I do that in time I spend with him time and prayer Time and fasting. Just like Jesus said, this kind cometh out. This kind of river of revival and power and this surging supernatural authority you just saw released through me, it can be yours, but it comes with much prayer and fasting. Now it's only by grace that that's even attainable. It's only by grace that we know his name. But part of what grace grants us development and growth in the spirit realm to take on dimension after dimension glory after glory and faith after faith of knowing him and becoming like him we must acquire depth in every area of our spiritual lives as quickly as possible and we cannot make excuses we cannot get distracted it is needed now And it is absolutely essential that we become deeper as people than we've ever been before. Far deeper. This means we have to deepen our personal prayer time. If you don't have a dedicated space every day to pray, I would encourage you now to carve one out. If you're praying one hour, make it two. If you're praying 15 minutes, make it 30. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, double what you're doing. Just get deeper in his presence. It is time to acquire depth. How do I acquire depth? Time spent with him. Just about being with Jesus. We're going to see in Acts 19, that's all it's about. Time with Jesus. There's no re- religious secret formula. Jesus made it very clear prayer and fasting. It's prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. That's it. Hunger for God and encounter with God. Every great revival from the Welsh Revival to Azusa Street to the book of Acts chapter 2 started when people were hungry for God and were praying in unity together. Every one of them. Not one of them started with a famous evangelist. Evangelists got famous out of the movement. But make no mistake, it didn't start with them. It started when people came together of different ethnicities and different backgrounds and said, we're going to love each other. We're going to support each other and we're going to pray until the power of God falls upon us and changes our city. We're gonna pray in homes, we're gonna pray in churches, we'll pray in the street, we'll pray walking down the street, we'll pray anywhere that we can open our mouth and emit a prayer. That is what changes homes, cities, churches, and nations. It'll never be anything else. You don't have to have the perfect worship set. You don't have to have a popular person singing. You don't have to bring in celebrities in ministry. That's not what starts revival. It's hunger for God that starts revival. Tell me who the choir was that we're singing in Acts chapter 2. Tell me who the famous preacher was. When the wind came rushing in... Everybody was on their face. It wasn't about the right personality. It wasn't about the right genre. It was just hunger for the presence and power of God. That's when it begins. That's when it starts. Every time, prayer and fasting. The only way that we're going to be able to survive the shaking that's coming. The pandemic is the beginning of sorrows, my friends not trying to be negative, the gospel's good news. But the gospel also, and Jesus multiple times, was real with people. And if the pandemic shook you loose, you really need a breakthrough. Because that was the beginning, but the beginning of sorrows. And so there's coming a time of shaking when everything that can be shaken will and shall be shaken. So we must have an unshakable faith, an unshakable prayer life, an unshakable perspective, where I cannot be shaken into unbelief by what I see with my eyes. Because the enemy, we're going to see it in Acts 19, but the enemy wants to shake you out of faith into unbelief. That's what the violent shaking of the epileptic was all about. Can you get shook into unbelief by what you see in your eyes? Claim a Goshen blessing over your life, and then you get hit with unexpected expenses, and you see that bank account go to nearly zero. Are you going to shake and fall off of the prophecy? Are you going to say, I have an unshakable faith? God is going to bless me no matter what I see with my eyes. That's a prophetic paradox. When what I see doesn't look like what he said. That's a prophetic paradox. What am I going to do? I'm going to keep following him. I'm going to keep trusting him. I'll share a personal story with you. Not for sympathy because we don't need that. The Lord is our source. But this Saturday morning before 8 a.m., I took a $2,000 bath in failed appliances. Before 8 a.m., As my wife is on her way to a ladies' conference, Mind Games, it was absolutely phenomenal and incredible, powerful, impacting. As she's on her way, the dryer breaks. Now, dryers don't last forever. Every time a dryer breaks, it's not a spiritual attack, okay? They're not immortal, right? So the dryer breaks for the fourth time in seven days. So she tells me, I said, okay, all right, dryer's broke. She goes to leave at 7 a.m., garage door won't open. She comes in and tells me. I go out, I look. The garage door springs had broken in two places. A man that had been working on garage doors for 32 years came out to fix it. He said, wow, I gotta take a picture of this. I've never seen this before. These springs never break, twice. I'm like, wow, how cool, take a picture. So glad to be a part of history this morning. And so he says, man, you know what? You know what else is going on with the supply chain and the pandemic? These things used to cost this amount, but now they're double. And I thought, man, this is cool. What a time in history. Everything costs double, In the spring broke double. This is fantastic. So my little wife, she's coming up here be part of this awesome team God put together. God's about to do amazing things to the women in this church, <laughs> prophesying to you in the name of the Lord. And I'm dealing with all that. So the spirit of the Lord hit me. And I said, all right, devil, here's what's going on because the timing of this, garage door springs aren't immortal either. They break, man. It's life. But I said, you know what? The timing of this is pretty, pretty interesting. I said, so devil, God's gonna give me tenfold and restore to me the finances tenfold that you just tried to take from me. <laughs> tenfold. That's what's gonna happen. Hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen because I want a faith that's unshakable. I trust in my source, not myself, and I know he's going to make a way. We need to acquire unshakable depth. The only way to survive the shaking is to have depth in our foundation. We need to know why you believe what you believe. You need to know why you believe what you believe and what you stand on. Part of having a foundation is having some absolute things you're not moving on no matter what. No matter how popular it becomes to throw it down, you stand on it. You have to have some unshakable beliefs and concepts and truths that you're not backing up from no matter how popular no matter how cool it looks no matter how big the churches get that start throwing it down you have to be able to stand on what you know is bible unshakable bible that's having a depth in your foundation if you don't know why you believe what you believe please come talk to us and then after you talk to us, get in that word for yourself, because you can't live off my connection to God, and you can't live off PBJ's connection to God. You've got to have your connection to God. So find out why you believe what you believe. Find out why. Find it here. You've got to develop depth. In Tokyo, they build skyscrapers, beautiful, beautiful skyscrapers. It's an incredible city. 30-plus million people, biggest city in the world. They have these incredible skyscrapers, and they survive earthquakes. So here's what happens. They build buildings that can handle the shaking. How do they do it? They build them deep before they ever build them up. That's what God does with his people. If you will surrender to his prophetic process, he's going to take you deep before he ever takes you up. He's going to take you down before he ever elevates you. Before he gives you blessing, he wants to see what you do with loss. Before he makes you a trusted voice in the earth, he wants to see how you handle betrayal. Because he's got to take you down before he can build you up. And the deeper you go down, the stronger your foundation becomes. And then you can handle the shaking that's going on. It can shake, but it doesn't affect you structurally. Everything you're connected to stays safe. Even in the shaking... You cannot be touched. You will not fall because you were built deep with depth. You acquired some dimensional depth. And please listen to this. When I say levels, this is what I mean. I don't mean levels of elite status. You're going to do anything in the kingdom, stop that. You're not going to be a celebrity here. Doesn't get to happen. Sorry, that's not what this is about. It's not about being famous. It's not about being a VIP. It's not about getting people to carry your Bible and shine your shoes. If you want that nonsense, you're starting off at a very terrible and shallow superficial foundation. When I say levels, this is what I mean. There are levels of his likeness to acquire. So when I squeeze you, do I get you? Or do I get him? But the titty used to say, if I squeeze a lemon, I get lemon juice. If I squeeze an orange, I get orange juice. When I squeeze a Christian, I should get Christ. So when you're put under pressure and people are lying about you and betraying you and things are breaking in your house left and right, what comes out of you? Do we get Jesus... Or do we get just more of you? We have to ask ourselves that. Because I've come to the conclusion there's too much me inside of me. There's not enough of him in me. I want more of him in me and less of me in me. John the Baptist said it this way, I must decrease, and God, you must increase. I need more of you and less of me, so that when I'm put under pressure and I'm squeezed and pressed on every side, what comes out of me is your nature. What comes out of me is your holiness. What comes out of me is your power levels of likeness and ever deepening levels of his power resting upon us because of his likeness it takes his character to wield his power otherwise you start making it about you and you can't survive prosperity you can't survive what the world calls success because you make it about you instead of him And so he's gotta tear you down and he's gotta build depth inside of you. There are levels to this thing. I mentioned the different people I heard pray and the second they opened their mouth, I knew they had an altar bigger than mine. And they died on that altar more frequently than I did. That's what I mean by levels. It's levels of his likeness. When I see a man, And he's asked about the people that say he's a false prophet and he's in deception and all other types of accusations. And when I see that man break down in tears, not because of what they said, but he breaks down in tears and says, I pray for their children. I pray that God would cause them to prosper. I pray for my enemies, I pray that God would cause him to prosper in his ways. And he's crying as he's talking about how much time he spends praying over his enemies and attackers. That man has been with Jesus. That man has an altar and he dies on it more than I do. That inspires me greatly. That inspires me deeply. There was a man by the name of T.W. Barnes. I promise you that had he lived in Bible times, there would be a book in this Bible called Barnes. He was that powerful of a prophet of God. My sweet mother in law had had a problem. This is early 2000s. She had a diagnosable illness that caused her entire, one entire half of her body to completely shake and tremble. Doctors could not help her, preachers could not help her. People I love and respect prayed for her and she stayed the same. Time after time, we would pray, nothing would happen. But T.W. Barnes walked up to her in the back of a camp meeting service. She was brought to him. He looked at her and said, Spirit of infirmity and torment, leave her. And she immediately stopped. Immediately, she stopped. It was instantaneous. There had been many prayers. There had been many attempts. But when that man of God walked up in that level of likeness, he spoke, and God caused it to happen. Just like that. There's power in that. That's a real dynamic. And so I looked at that, and God had me ask these questions. He said, I want you to start asking yourself these questions. And there's several of them. But he said, I want you to ask yourself this in the mirror. I would encourage you to do the same. The first one was very simple I am the sinner that he died for. I am. But am I the type of vessel he died to create? I'm definitely the sinner he died for. But am I becoming the idea he had? When he was on Calvary, I gotta ask myself that every day. I'm the reason he died. I put him there. You put him there. But am I living from the reason he died for me? When he sees the dimension I live with him in, is that the depth of intimacy? That he had in mind while enduring the abject torture of Calvary's cross. Do I spend the time with him that he was hoping for during his time hanging on a cross? Because the Bible tells me in Hebrews 12 and 2. Looking unto Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You don't get through the abject torture of Calvary where someone's ripping your beard out, punching you in the face. Roman soldier after Roman soldier, beating your back until your ribs are completely exposed. That's what Jesus went through for you and I. Just a little bit of it. You don't get through that torture. You don't get through that pain unless you're thinking about something that's going to come to you on the other side. And my friends, what he was thinking about was this church. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. So I have to ask myself am I living up to the idea he had in his mind? when every last drop of his blood was flowing out of his body at Calvary? Am I spending the time with him that he died to make possible? Am I living the type of life he envisioned? Am I aligned with the joy he had set before him when he was hanging on Calvary? Or did he die for far more than I am currently living in? Did he die for far more of a dimension that he wanted to create in us. Am I becoming what his blood bought for me? That's what goes through my mind when I think about this. Because I owe God, God owes no man, but I owe God to become what his blood purchased for me. You owe God the availability, the time to become what he bought in us. He created and he bought something and made it possible by his blood to create in us a dimension that I just don't think we're living in. No one on earth owes me anything, but I owe him what he died for. And I owe him what he died for. Who are them? I owe the world what he died for. The apostle said it like this in Romans 1. I am the debtor both to Greeks and barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. You don't get salvation without the power of God. We owe the world the power of God resting upon us. I owe God first. Then I owe the world what I have received freely. I owe the world the power of God resting on me as much as I can possibly have it resting upon me. What will determine the level that rests upon me, the level of his likeness I acquire by spending time with him through much prayer and fasting. That's how. That's the process. I owe them that. When you see someone walking by, I owe them something. I owe them the opportunity to know what I know. I owe them the opportunity to receive freely what I have received freely. The same grace, the same perfect love, the same power of God. That's why we have to stay prayed up, consecrated, and daily seek to become more deeply and dimensionally connected to God so that he can be released as he is. Because these levels of likeness, what that's about is releasing him as he is. Not as I heard about from someone else. But as I have experienced in my own prayer, in my own study, and my own time with him, to release him as he is. 1 John 4 and 17 says this. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, tell your neighbor, as he is, now tell your other neighbors, so are we in this world. If you're looking to simplify the apostolic creed, that's it. As he is, so am I to be in this world. As he is, so am I to be in this world. There is nothing else else. As he is, so am I to be. How do I get as he is? Prayer and fasting. I got to know him. I have to spend time with him. If I only know who he is, I'm not living as he is. If I only know him intellectually and doctrinally, but not through much prayer and supernatural encounter, I may know about him, but do I know him enough to become like him? if i don't passionately pursue him to see him and become like him i can never be as he is in this world so i have to ask myself this and this hit me right between the eyes am i taking this kingdom life as seriously as jesus is because when he was on the cross he was taking it pretty serious when he set this hope and this joy before him, it was pretty serious. Am I matching his intensity? Am I matching his seriousness? I have to ask myself that. Every day, am I taking this as serious as he is? Because it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. He wants to give us the kingdom. If I am taking it seriously, I have to ask myself this. Then why has screen time replaced prayer time? These are questions I have to ask myself. I'm not trying to be hard-nosed and unkind. But what are we doing binge-watching stuff? What are we doing wasting hours staring at a phone? All of us, starting with me when the world and the society we live in is literally on fire. Where they're questioning things that are absolutely ridiculous. Where they're wanting to force agendas into children's programming that are absolutely reprehensible and pathetic and weak. And we're just gonna sit back and chill. Chill. We have to take light just as serious as they're taking darkness. Just as serious. So I have to ask myself, is the enemy taking darkness more seriously than I'm taking the kingdom? Because they don't rest and they don't stop. Because as generations become more spiritually curious, the enemy of our souls becomes more available to them. That's what you're seeing. It's unfolding every day in the news. You can read it for yourself. Every single day. The agendas. The nonsense. Questioning creative order. Basic science. It is absolutely reprehensible. It's darkness. It isn't light. And we can't allow the enemy to be more passionate about deception than we are about revelation. We can't allow it. We have to acquire some depth. Here's what I mean. According to a Trinity College study in 1990, there were about 8,000 practicing witches in the USA. Witches are real. It's not just a figment of imagination. It's real come far too late to tell me that that's not real. Ran into it in more than one country. So 8,000 in 1990. Now, as of two years ago, there are well over 1.5 million. 8,000 to 1.5 million. That was two years ago. God only knows what it is now. They're taking it pretty serious. Because as society becomes more spiritually curious, darkness becomes more available. Light has to match it. We can't be afraid, we can't bow to the mob, we can't hide in our closets while there is a full-on assault for the future and the present and our children. I refuse to allow it to happen. I will be a voice against the darkness. I will be a voice against the nonsense and the chaos and the disorder and the rebellion. 100% absolutely every time I will disagree with it. Not going to be silent. So in Matthew 17, what's happening here? Because here's what happens, very quickly. You move into your anointing and your purpose with a divine assignment. The enemy comes against you, and tries to shake you out of your faith. That's why Jesus said to Peter, Satan asked to sift you like wheat. He's asked for you. He's going to try to shake you. right? He said, but I prayed for you that your faith failed not. He didn't say, I said, I didn't say the attack can't happen. Jesus didn't tell him you can't attack him. Jesus did not say you can't press him. Jesus did not say you can't challenge him. He said, I pray that your faith faileth not because I'm going to make you deep so that you're unshakable. They'll come for you. You'll have low moments. You'll stumble. You'll stagger. You might even fall, but you're going to get back up because your faith will be unshakable. You will get back on your feet. You will charge the gates of hell and they will not prevail. So there's a battle going on. When the apostles attempted to free this poor person, in Matthew 17, our our text, the violent manifestation of the spiritual and physical issues shook them out of faith and into fear. There was a battle raging for what reality could be possible. The continuation of this person's very evident and obvious affliction. Or, could the reality of the kingdom of God overtake it? because we release the reality we live most aware of. And the enemy knows that. If he can make you more aware of what's going on before you, he pulls you right out of the reality of the kingdom into the reality of the ailment, into the reality of the infirmity, because it's so visible and it's so violent and it's so breathtakingly obvious that there's an issue And it makes us think it's harder for God to do it. It's not harder for him. It's harder for us to stay focused on the reality of the kingdom of God. Because we will release the reality we live most aware of. And in that moment, they became more aware of the reality of the epilepsy than the reality of the kingdom. And so the violent seizing became the reality that endured but not when Jesus showed up. Jesus reversed it because he stayed in a heavenly reality. He stayed heaven to earth. Just like the wind and the waves pulled the apostle Peter back down beneath the water he was just walking on top of. Same principle. This person's symptoms pulled the apostles from faith to unbelief. Watch what's trying to shake you and speak the opposite. Speak the opposite of what you see. It's what Ezekiel did. He said, I see corpses. Ezekiel 37, I see bones. But this femur is about to connect to this tibia and fibia. This radius and ulna is going to come together with this humerus then sinews going to form ribs are going to come together vertebrae are going to line up skins going to be put upon you breath will be breathed into you you shall be an army mighty in God speak the opposite of what you discern and the opposite of what you see don't just speak what you discern anybody can do that speak the opposite of what you discern If you walk up to someone and you discern addiction, speak liberty and freedom in the name of Jesus Christ. And it shall be given unto them. Don't discern addiction and tell them, oh, you have an addiction problem. Well, congratulations. Now they know you're prophetic. Yippity-doo. That does nothing. Speak the opposite of what you discern. Say God's about to completely make you free. Lift your hands if you want it, and receive it in His name in for His glory. The opposite of what you discern, not what you discern. Musicians, you can come, please. Thank you. Acts nineteen, last story, one of my absolute favorites: the seven sons of Sceva because it shows us so much and it really brings all of this back home. Puts all of these concepts together in one package, and one story. And one thing we have to understand is the people that you pass, the people that you work with, the people you pass in stores, the people you're sitting next to in traffic, they need us at our maximum potential. How many people do we walk by but because we're having a bad day and we're into our feelings and we're so self-obsessed with just everything that's going on in our life. And I've done it. We walk past people in stores and we feel something and then we just ignore it because we're so focused on our little... The people we pass that are depressed and fighting off suicidal ideation, they need us at our best. They need us prayed up before I walk into the public space. I need to be prayed up. I need to be ready to give somebody a word, to stop and pray for somebody, to release blessing, to release to become people of the presence of God. We must, we must, we owe them that. We owe them that. We're debtors, debtors to the Greek, the barbarian, the wise, and the unwise. But Acts 19 says this so beautifully. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. God, I'm hungry for unusual miracles in your body again. Because you write things we cannot predict. You do things we could never imagine. So I'm asking you to bring the dimension of unusual miracles to North Cade as never before. For your glory and your glory alone. Because we have no celebrities here but you, Jesus. You're the only star of this show. And you get all the glory for everything you do. So bring it, please, upon us in this church. But they worked, God worked unusual miracles by his hands. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. And then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcist, people that had success took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches It's so really got in trouble not the one I know but the one that guy knows also there were seven sons of Sceva Jewish chief priest who did so and the evil spirit answered and said Jesus I know And Paul I know. Why do they know Paul? Only because he's been with Jesus. That's it. So Jesus I know. You better believe they know him. Paul I know because he's been with Jesus. But who are you? Because you haven't been with Jesus. So you have no authority here because you don't know him so we don't know you that's the lesson they knew Paul only because he'd been with Jesus they knew Jesus because he's God in flesh they didn't know them because they weren't with Jesus they knew about him intellectually they knew about him as a historical figure but they did not know him personally and so there was no authority that could be admitted from them whatsoever And the man who the evil spirit was upon leaped upon them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This created a revival. Worst altar call ever. They didn't just get beat up, they got their clothes removed from their bodies. This is horribly embarrassing. It's a horrible situation. The person stays possessed. They're beat senseless and stripped. And they run away in shame. And somehow God is big enough to start a revival out of that. That's why I tell you, you don't need a successful evangelist to have revival. You just need emphasis upon Jesus. Because Jesus took the worst altar call seminar in the entire universe and created a revival out of it. Only Jesus can do that. You don't get a worse altar-working seminar than that. And Jesus created something supernatural out of it. The word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed, it said. People that were practicing magic came and burned their books in front of everyone because they were amazed and in awe that if you've been with Jesus... Something supernatural happens in you. But you have to be with Jesus. This story proves you can't release a level of spiritual authority somebody else walks in. This is why I said, if you don't know what you believe, come talk to us. But after you talk to us, go talk to him. Because you cannot get by just coming to church, getting an overflow blessing off of our connection to God. Can I be bold enough to say that? You will not be successful. You will not grow deep. You will not make it in the end time. If you're having to live off the overflow of somebody else's connection to Almighty God. Because when he was on the cross, that's not what he had in mind. When he was on the cross, he knew he wanted to come to you personally. A personal God, a personal revival, a personal prayer life. He wants to meet with you in your house. He wants to talk to you individually. He doesn't want to just talk to you through me. He wants to talk to you because he died for you and he loves you. So you can't coast by. Modern Christianity says you can. But the Bible says you can't. You have to have your walk with God. These people weren't daily walking with him. And so hell didn't know them. And they couldn't release to him what they owed him. Which was love so freely given. Power that he bled and died for. And in closing tonight, I just have to ask. As we stand to our feet all over this house, we're out of time. Does anybody in this house want to become what he bled for? Do you want to become what his blood bought for you? Because we didn't get finished and we're out of time, but I will say this. I want to live up to that image he had in his mind when that crown of thorns was on his head and blood was pouring from his face and from his brow and from his side hands and feet when his visage was marred so drastically and violently that his own mother could not recognize him He got through that because he was thinking about the time he would get to spend with us on the other side of Calvary's cross. That was the joy he had set before it. That I get to fellowship with my children like I haven't been able to before my sacrifice. I want to spend the time with him that he was thinking about spending with me on the cross.